and welcome to Deeply Rooted, the Minnesota Farm Bureau's podcast that shares the stories of farmers and agriculturalists and goes in-depth into public policy. In less than 30 minutes, you can stay connected to the topics that matter to Farm Bureau members from the car, the office, or even the tractor cab. We will feature Farm Bureau members and policy experts to bring you the latest stories and updates from the field. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast with the Minnesota Farm Bureau. I'm Josie Linetti, Associate Director of Public Policy. Farm Bureau is rooted in the beliefs and values of our members and their families. Our Deeply Rooted Podcast series will dive into the diverse obstacles and opportunities that exist in agriculture and our rural communities. Today, it's all about water and sustainability. Joining me, Josie Linetti, on this episode is Warren Formo. Warren Formal for many in agriculture needs no introduction, but I like to be thorough, so I'll give you a brief overview of who Warren is if you're not familiar. Warren is the executive director of the Minnesota Ag Water Research Center since 2008. He's a wealth of information on all things water-related and brings a scientific, data-driven approach to agriculture and sustainability. He's a great resource to Minnesota's farmers and ranchers. Now, to put a little color to Warren, you'll always know that Warren is in the Minnesota Farm Bureau office when there are egg cartons floating around. For those of you who don't know, Warren, with all of his spare time, which I imagine is not often, raises chickens and pheasants, and I'm sure a couple other species in there. So you always know when Warren's around when folks have an egg carton or two sitting on their desk. So without further, further ado, I want to welcome Warren Formo to the Deeply Rooted podcast. Well, thank you, Josie. That was a very nice uh, introduction. And uh, yeah, I'm just a, a farm kid. I grew up on a farm. I love agriculture and all aspects of it. And, uh, you know, you can't take the, you can take the boy off the farm, but can't take the farm out of the boy. And so uh, my hobby is raising poultry and uh, uh, it's a way to interact with, with something other than people once in a while. Um, the work that I do, uh, you know, water issues are often confrontational or at least, uh, you know, sensitive issues to be talking about. And so it's kind of fun to have a hobby that I can go home to in the evening and, uh, and do some different things. But, uh, but yeah, since 2008, I've had the uh, very uh, fortunate opportunity to be working within agriculture, uh, really focusing on water issues and and uh, representing agriculture often with agencies, trying to help them understand the challenges farmers are are going through. Um, you know whether it's water related or even just financial and market ups and downs and things like that, because all of those things uh, affect what farmers can and can't do. And so my small role within all of that is just trying to better understand water issues and then working with subsets of farmers because they each face slightly different challenges uh, to figure out, uh, you know, how can we best represent them and how can we find resources to help them if, if they're in need of uh, information about, about water quality and quantity. Warren, that's really interesting. You mentioned about how all farmers experience water issues that are a little bit different. Can you talk a little bit more about the Minnesota Ag Water Research Center's approach to proactive environmental protection 
when every landowner situation is a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, it, that's one of the things that I really enjoy about the work is that it is so diverse. Uh, and so one of the approaches that, that we use is uh, we have a network of farms across Minnesota that we call Discovery Farms on which we do uh, edge of field water quality monitoring research. And this is... Um, uh, it, it's rare across, actually globally, there's not a lot of research that has gone on in the past to try to help real directly at a, at a field level, better understand nutrient and sediment flows and that sort of thing. And so um, we use that as a way to uh, gather information on a, a subset of farms of different types. And then using that, we can uh, uh, extrapolate and you have to make some assumptions, but looking at different soils and different topographies and different types of farming systems, hopefully we can at least point them in the, the right direction. That's a good setup to, or and a good segue, Warren, to get into what I'd like to talk about in this podcast, being all about water and sustainability and certainly want to always continue to have a water with Warren conversation, uh, something I try to do consistently with you. So you already have touched on Discovery Farms. We've talked about how having a proactive approach to environmental protection is important. Um, why don't we just have an overview of what Marwak does, your interactions with landowners, and how um, how we can be how we can further help agriculture and help farmers and ranchers using this data to be more sustainable on their operation? Sure. Well, I, I think uh, at its core, what we have made available to farmers is sort of a, a new line of evidence or a new way of looking at, uh, at their farm. Um, farmers process a massive amount of information on, you know, yields and economics and, and uh, expenses of all the various inputs that they're working with. And so uh, I, I'm constantly amazed at, at how many different factors farmers have to consider when they do a cropping system, whether, you know, what to plant, when, where, all of the things that go into managing the, those cropping systems. The one thing that didn't exist until we started doing our work was this actual edge of field research relating to nutrients and sediment in particular. Um, there had been models developed in the past uh, that agencies, federal and state agencies would use to assign values whether, and generally referred to as coefficients of loss. And what that basically means is it's their assumption and in, in, through their models that each acre of farmland loses to the environment, and in this case, water, um, so much nitrogen, you know, a certain amount of nitrogen, a certain amount of phosphorus. And so Farmers were skeptical of that information, and so when we began to collect actual edge of field data, it was amazing to find out just how much variability there is across the state and across farming systems. And so now we can take that information to farmers, and they can add it to all the other information they have with, for yields and how much fertilizer did it take to grow that crop, and uh, and then they look at the water data, and it, it, it's. Uh, it's both daunting because it's a lot of information, but I think also the more we do it, I find that there's a, a relatively high correlation between uh, productivity and responding to economic challenges and finding that a good fit for sustainability in water. And I think in a nutshell, what that means is that uh, our highest performing fields tend to also have the lowest losses. There's just something magical about them. 
the fields that maybe it's difficult to eke out a good crop, uh, whether it's because it's uh, more susceptible to drought stress or uh, flooding, saturated soils and that sort of thing. Uh, those also tend to be the fields that are a little bit more challenging to manage from a water quality perspective. And so it's kind of intuitive and, and farmers, uh, to their credit, they figure this stuff out really quickly. Absolutely. So when we talk about sustainability, something that I hear when I talk to Minnesota Farm Bureau members and others in agriculture is that in order to implement sustainability practices on your farm that works for your operation, it has to make financial sense. Are you? Is there a way that when working with this data, you're able to help give farmers the context they need to say, hey, I can make this leap because it's supported by the data. I know that in X amount of years, if this stays true, that I'm going to have a good crop on this field, that I'm going to see some true um, positive impacts from implementing, whether it's different practices, whether it's changing up what you're applying, um, whether it's implementing a cover crop or something to that extent. Yeah, I think that the, I mean, that's the end goal of to be able to provide that kind of information so farmers can do that uh, sort of analysis on their operation. And, and I think there are instances where the water data helps support what they're seeing in their yields uh, through their yield maps that they collect on with their combines and, and the like. Um, it, it also, I think, has a relationship to a lot of the uh, plot work and agronomic information. You know, if they're following uh, the latest nutrient management research at the University of Minnesota and other places uh, like that, um, we find that uh, the the information can, I, I wouldn't say it can drive decisions, but it can help support or reinforce the decisions farmers are already making. Um, I come at this sustainability um conversation perhaps a little different than most. Um, I think to many, the there's an, almost an assumption that unless you're doing a certain set of practices, you're not sustainable. And I don't see sustainability as, a, as really a yes or no question. It's more of a continuum or, you know, maybe from one to 10. And we know that, I mean, agriculture and agriculture, we're, you know, farmers are the original stewards of the land. It's not, it's not something where you're going into it thinking that you're not going to want this to be productive for not only your generation, but the generations who are going to take it over after you. And I think that's always an interesting thing that we hear about when we talk about environmental protections, because we hear that farmers are, you know, there are some that think that farmers are trying to negatively impact the environment. And we just know that's not true. And so having this data, having you as a resource really helps combat that. Being able to have edge of farm research that isn't common, being able to have a network of farms that are monitoring in real time, in real weather conditions, uh, and in ways that are scalable. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, so I think one of the key values of, of Discovery Farms for farmers is that then it can help them take a set of decisions and management considerations they're already making, which are very good and maybe make them just a little bit better. And so things like, you know, I've already got a good cropping system, should I add cover crops? Uh, we can begin to look at, you know, how might that change the way erosion happens on your farm or the way nitrogen cycles? Can you, can you reduce nitrogen rates if you add this cover crop? Or will you need more nitrogen if you add this cover crop? And so I think that for the farmer, that's the value. It's kind of, uh, uh, marginal thing. How much can you, if you change something in your operation, how might that change the water metrics? Uh, the challenge 
often for us is that as we try to converse with those and maybe in who are a little more passionate about an environment, the environment, but haven't had the kind of agricultural experience that, that we have had. And so they often are the folks who assume that there are bad things going on on farms. And so they're looking for dramatic changes, um, you know, major transformations in how we grow crops specifically. And, and I think the challenge then is we present this data for them and it says that with few exceptions, things are really pretty good. Nitrogen losses and phosphorus losses, erosion, the numbers on most farms are actually pretty good. Um, it, it becomes kind of challenging for those uh, who wanted to believe otherwise. So you touched a little bit on the Discovery Farms work. And so I'd like to, I want to take a step back and let's lay out the work of Discovery Farms when that work began in Minnesota and touching on the work that happens in Washington, or excuse me, that happens in Wisconsin. Um, because I really want to talk about the field days that in the in the pre-COVID times, you know, I know I have had the opportunity to attend some of the field days that you've put on and have been blown away by the progress that some um, that some farms have made and implemented as they take the data that the Discovery Farms program provides and are really able to attune it to how things work on their farm. Yeah, so so we started our program in 2009, having watched what, what their experience was like in Wisconsin. And initially, we wanted to uh, expand awareness so that farmers knew about the program. And so we established a network of about a dozen farms all the way from southeast Minnesota to northwest so that farmers, all farmers could basically say there's one in my general area. And they are in our experience, wonderful outdoor classrooms. Uh, in the summer, during the growing season, we can have field days where we can invite all sorts of folks, uh, farmers, others who are curious about agriculture, uh, policymakers, and actually have a discussion about the farm system they see above ground and you know what are the crops that are growing and the farmer can explain how they manage that that crop nutrient management and other things what kind of tillage they do and then we can talk about uh, water movement and and uh, by doing that we can begin to piece together you know what are the relative differences and what are the real risk factors for farms across the state then as we've evolved now we're beginning to look more focused at certain uh, key issues, wh whether it's tile and nitrate, um, we're focusing on certain watersheds that seem to be a higher priority, and uh, and then doing a little bit more direct comparison, uh, you know, to answer questions about does a cover crop make a difference? So we've got one set of, of farms where we have both uh, very similar fields, and some have cover crops and some don't. So after two or three years, we'll have a, a nice set of data there. Very interesting. You know, I know I've always appreciated the field days of just, you know, it's a day that you get to, you know, get out of the office, have some sunshine on your face. And something that sticks out to me the most is it was my first opportunity to see the soil warrior in action. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of that work and some of the opportunities that this data provi provides to some of our farmers and ranchers in the state? Yeah, for sure. And, and again, here, you know, the way farmers till and manage the soil, um, it, it, it's 
simply amazing to me that the progress farmers have made over the last 40 or 50 years. You, you think back to the early days of agriculture in Minnesota, and we were really limited on the different types of farms and what kind of machinery they even had to, to till the soil. And so now, uh, if we look back over just the last five to 10 years, the fastest category of tillage that we see in our state is strip till. And Soil Warrior is one of the manufacturers uh, here in Minnesota of strip tillage equipment. And when we visit with farmers who have made a switch from what was traditional or conventional prior, which was for most, we had evolved beyond the moldboard plow to a chisel plow type uh, setting. And as those farmers have gone then from a chisel plow to a, a, a strip till type setting, uh, what we're seeing is uh, savings in fuel, we're seeing savings in terms of reducing soil loss. Uh, productivity is being maintained. Those farmers, uh, sometimes it changes how they manage nutrients, but, but they, they've been able to do that. And so uh, it's not for everybody, not for every soil or every cropping system, uh, but it's, it's really one of the, I think, the success stories of the last 20 or so years. When I bring that up, because I remember attending the field day and watching the soil warrior rip through the field, and I was standing next to a farmer who's a, a good friend uh, and a tough nut to crack. And he stood next to me and said, wow, I wouldn't have believed it unless I saw it. Yeah. And to me, that was really eye-opening. It really is. And, you know, and so this is a good example. I remember when the first strip tillage equipment uh, was, was being promoted here in Minnesota and, and uh, it was very different. It, it was nothing like what we're seeing marketed today as strip till equipment. And, you know, the, the strip till, uh, movement really started further south and maybe on little different types of soil textures than we have predominantly here in Minnesota. And so it took a few years, but the equipment manufacturers have figured this out. And now they've got equipment that's more appropriate for our conditions. And I I'm like that farmer. When I, when I first saw the, the strip till from a machine from Soil Warrior in, in action, I was amazed. It, uh, uh, and, and what I think many farmers are looking at and saying, yeah, that could work. Now, it, there's a big investment. It's not free to make that change. But I think uh, the more farmers do it, um, and then we start to put the economics to it, and uh, uh, farmers are doing that. We're simply trying to follow along behind them and figure out, are there environmental benefits happening at the same time? No, that's great to hear. But is there ways that we can look at using the data-driven work of Discovery Farms to better share agriculture's story outside of agriculture? Yeah, I think there is. And, you know, I think it's something we've tried to do. Uh, we keep looking for just the right way to communicate with folks and, and the right place to communicate with folks. But I agree. I think COVID has changed how we do things and more is being done online. Um, you know, there are so many opportunities, whether it's a virtual meeting or uh, now as we, we start to unwind some of the restrictions to have field days and meetings again. And I do think that people are becoming more interested in where food's grown, uh, the, the ag systems we have. And I think the other interesting piece for me is that Minnesota is a state with, well, it's one of the leading agricultural states in the country. And in the world, when you think about the technology that, that goes into agriculture, I think that positions us as a leader globally. And so it's, it's a very cool place to farm and grow food. And yet we're also a state that has some of the richest water resources on the planet. So, you know, we've got beautiful rivers and lakes. Uh, we've got 
tourism and, and outdoor activities and all those things. And what I think is so cool is if we'd stop fighting about those things as much as we sometimes do and figure out how they can coexist and actually uh, reinforce one another. Um, you know, not every place can be everything to everyone, but I think if we figured out, you know, where are our best agricultural places and where are our pristine lakes that we want to emphasize tourism and fishing and all those sorts of things, I think there's a solution there. And perhaps having a network of farms like Discovery Farms that can host those conversations uh, can help move us in that direction. I also see, you know, an opportunity of, you know, being more accessible. In agriculture, I think we get a little nervous when people outside of agriculture are asking what's going on. And perhaps there, perhaps that is rightly so. Um, you know, farmers have been painted, you know, in a bad light for a variety of different reasons, especially in recent years. And that's something we work so hard to combat. As we talked about earlier, you know, farmers are those original stewards of the land. You're not going to do something to your land that's going to jeopardize you being able to pass that land to the next generation of your family. And I think that's something that might get overlooked in some of our our conversations outside of the agriculture community. Yeah, it really does. And I so I think, you know, early on when we were starting the Discovery Farms program, we wondered if any farmer would even let us do water monitoring on their farms uh, because, you know, there's some risk there to having this information collected, to opening yourself up to having a field day and explaining to people uh, how you farm. Uh, and I think early on, there was maybe a little bit of a mixture out there. Some farmers were just all over this. We need to know, we should know the answers to these questions about nutrient losses and, and the like first. So we can begin to address them before others even realize it. And so I think some farmers were, were really eager to join us. Other farmers were more skeptical and now a few years into the program where we begin to gather enough data to sort of piece together what it means, I think now more and more farmers, uh, and I commend them for this, uh, they're willing to step up and say, yeah, come to my farm. Um, and I was just on a farm this morning as I left. It's like, we're going to be a discovery farm someday. And so more and more farms would like to be part of this quest for more information. You know, I think some of the pushback to play devil's advocate in this, I think what we would probably hear from folks is, well, how is that data going to be used against us? Yeah, yeah, it's really hard. And, and we have seen instances where entities, whether they're, you know, aggressive uh, advocacy groups on the environmental side or sometimes even state and federal agencies will look at the data and maybe some would say cherry pick or they pull certain pieces of data out that maybe tell a story that in my view just isn't complete in order to support you know an effort to regulate more and those sorts of things and we see that and and we struggle with that and so our attempt then is to make sure that we get this information out more holistically but what we're saying is that's part of the complexity is understanding What's behind the numbers and working with farmers, are there things we can do to maybe uh, be more resilient to these big rains and lower the big numbers in the big rainfall years? Uh, but it's not as simple as just turning on and off a switch. That's good to hear. And I, I certainly don't want to get away from, from focusing our work on working with the farmers, ranchers, and their families here in Minnesota. Um, so kind of want to go back to the the core discovery farms work that you do and how it helps farmers and ranchers in Minnesota. Um, I know this is always a tricky question, but I do always like to ask, what's your biggest win? Think to the think since 2008 when the Minnesota Ag Water Research Center was, was put into place and you took over uh, in your role. 
can you identify a win? Are there too many wins that you can't just pick one? Well, Gosh, wouldn't that be great? In my mind, the, one of the biggest wins that we've had, and I and some won't maybe agree with me, some may not recognize that this has happened, but when the MAWRC was formed back in 2008, we were formed essentially to, largely to help um, ag organizations and farmers respond to agency pressures, more rules, rules coming faster. And uh, a lot of that was turning up in uh, water quality reports that the Pollution Control Agency was doing. And at that time, the big pressure on agriculture was around phosphorus losses. And I would like to think that in the, the subsequent years, the data we were collecting uh, along with, and it's one piece, but it was along with university research and other pieces of information, um, we were able to get PCA to understand that when it comes to phosphorus losses across our state, there, there are places where ag needs to do more or where there's room for progress, but across most of the, the cropped landscape in Minnesota, we actually have pretty low numbers. And I think PCA uh, in recognition of that has dialed down some of the pressure. They've never said that, but there seems to be less pressure. Uh, so that, I think that was a huge win. Warren, what is something, if you could ask one thing of farmers here in the state, do you have an ask? Do you have a suggestion? What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I, I think in, at a very basic level, I just appreciate and I would ask that farmers continue to focus on, you know, environmental issues broadly and water quality specifically. And, you know, implicit is that in that is the assumption that they're already doing that to a large extent. And I think as they do that, then their willingness to share that story with others um, what, you know, even if it's just your family, your extended family at Thanksgiving or Christmas, um, you know, every farmer has got cousins, uh, re relatives who live in different cities far away yeah. from the farm. Exactly. And, and, and so think about them through most of their year, they're interacting maybe with a group of people who have a lot of questions and doubts and our farmers, good stewards. Well, Thanksgiving is your chance to reinforce that message. We've talked about a lot of different resources that are out there for Minnesota agriculture, and I'll be sure to link those in the show notes after this. Certainly the good work that Discovery Farms is doing links to the Minnesota Ag Water Research Center and Warren's work uh, and some other things that we've talked about as well. I think it's important that we make sure that those are included. Is there any other resources that you think that we can share that would be helpful? Well, that's a big question. Um, yeah, the, I mean, I'm, I spend so much time almost every day looking for related research that will kind of corroborate or help us increase our confidence in the data we're collecting. And so certainly our information is available on our website and you can include that link. Um, but I'm constantly looking for whether it's state agency reports. Uh, I think farmers ought to follow and, and periodically check in at PCA and DNR and department Department of Ag website and just see what they're up to. And are do their press releases include things that relate to things I as a farmer might want to be involved in? Um, certainly, you can find those pieces of information just in the newspaper and the media. But I think if, if as a farmer, if you consciously go to their websites and look for it, you'll 
you'll find information that may just cause you to think, oh, I need to know more about that. And so the agencies, I think, I, I still, I'm a land-grant university guy. I love our University of Minnesota. I know not everyone does. I know not everything they do is perfect. But I think in terms of basic information, if you're looking for, um, you know, principles of nutrient management and uh, manure management, those sorts of things, I, I think our uh, our University of Minnesota Extension team does incredible work. And, uh, and, and I also would say that farmers, to the extent that you're interacting with them and helping our university team understand your needs, they will get better because they'll be able to address and their research can more directly focus on what we in agriculture need. Is there anything that we can do from your opinion from Minnesota Farm Bureau that would better support the sustainability efforts of our members? Yeah, I I think you're already doing a lot of really good things by providing forums for these discussions. I know that within the ag network with, you know, you've got a young farmer and rancher program that that helps for, you know, that younger generation, maybe people thinking about agriculture, but not quite fully immersed in it yet. Um, you provide those kind of learning opportunities. And, and then you've also got just your rank and file membership. Um, providing a network and a county-based system where where they can get together and learn more, compare notes and that sorts of thing. Um, what could you do more? I, I think uh, it's the same old things, what I was talking about before. Um, we will never communicate enough. It's just not possible. And so the key then becomes with the time we've got, how can we be as effective as possible? And so I, I think uh, just making more information available. I think this idea you're having now of, of doing these podcasts, something that can be available so that, uh, you know, hopefully many people will learn about this and listen to it fairly soon. But maybe they'll tell the, a friend or a neighbor that they heard this information that was helpful. And six months from now, people will still be checking it out. And I think building that library so that people could keep going back and refreshing their, their memory and uh, just learning new things it would be it's it's just another important piece. You've given me a challenge, Warren, that's for sure. I am a communicator, and I think this is a good format for creating a catalog of the conversations that I do have. And I would hope that that's something that I can continue in into the world of sustainability and some of the other issues that I'm looking to tackle within the Minnesota Farm Bureau. We can never communicate enough. I think that's a really good point. And I'm glad that we were able to share a conversation that you and I probably would have had anyway with, you know, perhaps an audience of folks that are interested to, to kind of, to sit around and, you know, it's like they're around the bonfire with us as we have this conversation. Yep. Absolutely. No, I've enjoyed it as well. And I, you know, the, it seems like the buzzwords and the, what we focus on changes fairly often. I, you know, I can think back to when we were going to move to low input sustainable agriculture. And then we, we, went more to just sustainability. And now lately, one of the buzzwords is more around a regenerative agriculture. And these, these are all interesting words. And I think the biggest challenge in the sustainability discussion for farmers is figuring out exactly what they mean. And then at what scale is it on my farm? Is it globally? And, and I think more and more, I would, this, and this is a hope I would have for environmentally minded folks, is that instead of trying to make someone's small farm um, completely, you know, putting all the onus on them to be sustainable. Let's think globally. Um, everything we need as people requires something, whether it's a farm or a mine or a forest or something, uh, a manufacturing plant. And 
as long as we have those needs, I think that the environmental community, I would remind them that they've got to think about all of the things people need and not just, from my perspective at least, put so much pressure on farmers. Thank you for joining another episode of Deeply Rooted. Whether you're listening from the field or from home, we're glad you made time to join us. Hopefully this episode left you feeling more deeply rooted to the topics that are important to us here at Minnesota Farm Bureau.